We are so grateful that you are here. And uh, if you're new to this place, my name is Ryan. Welcome. Just going to move a few things. Um, we're going to take our offering actually at this moment. So if you're if you're new to this uh, this gathering, this is something we do each Sunday as we um, just support what's happening around here. And there's just so many amazing things going on. I wish I had the chance to go into everything. Um, if you are new to this place, if you've been new to this place in the last three months even, uh, we actually have lunch for you if you want it. Um, we're bringing in some, some lunch today. And it's just a chance, like 10 minutes for us to share with you a little bit about this place and this community, why we're here, what we're doing. Um, and you can ask us questions too. So it's totally chill. If you've got kids, you can feed them there too. So um, like I said in the prayer, this is Advent. Uh, this is time of the year of yearning, of expectation, of, of all these things that we um, come to realize in our own hearts, in our own lives. Um, and we've been asking the question the last number of weeks, what does it look like to change? Like really change. And I think that uh, for some of us, um, some of us in the room who have grown up in the church world, um, we just need to think back and have a conversation and think about our lives and our heads and kind of what we've been taught. And one of the things that we've been doing the last few weeks is, is talking through what it looks like to like really, really deeply change. Not just change our behavior, right? Like Jesus was never into behavior modification. Jesus was actually after our heart, actually the, the deepest part of us. And before we get to Mark chapter one, what I wanted to do is talk about maybe four different currents that I think make this kind of change really hard, okay? And uh, part of it's kind of a cultural thing, part of it's kind of a church thing, but I'm just gonna throw these things up on the screen. Um, first thing is this, and some of you are reading ahead, so just, you can just go ahead and read it all. Okay, now I'll talk about it. Uh, the first thing is a post-Christian culture that we live in right now. And we're actually gonna get into talking about what that means um, when we get into January. By the way, in January, we're gonna be going through the book of Daniel, and we're gonna be talking about culture. We're gonna be talking about how we live in the culture that we are in. Um, but the post-Christian culture basically is um, this idea that people, for the most part, are um, antagonistic towards following Jesus. They're antagonistic towards church. And um, part of that is our doing. And uh, the reality is, is there's just like a toxicity there. Um, so we'll get into all that. Um, we live in a modern digital age, which makes actually uh, some of the slowing down and following Jesus difficult. Um, some of you haven't been bored in like 15 years because you have a phone that keeps you from being bored. Um, We'll talk more about this, but this idea that we live in this modern society, fast-paced, connected, information at our fingertips, it's tough to slow down and hear from Jesus. The third part of this, the third, th th sorry, the third stream is this idea that about 60% of us in the room are actually a byproduct of divorce. 
And that is actually has an impact on us and how we um, relate, how we communicate, how we trust all those things. So there's the, some of that nuance in it. And the fourth one is this idea that we're all kind of a byproduct of megachurch. And I'm not slamming big churches. Listen to what I'm about to say. Um, somewhere in the 70s and 80s, um, the tone shifted. And um, some of the, what was communicated to people who go to church was what, what is important is your attendance and your giving and that you were to come to church on Sunday, you were to give money to the church, and we weren't really, we meaning church people, weren't raising apprentices to Jesus. We were actually raising people who believed in uh, good behavior, that God just wanted to fix your life, and um, that God really wasn't involved unless you needed him. And so there's a uh, sociologist named Christian Smith that coined the the phrase uh, moralistic therapeutic deism. Now that sounds nerdy, but he basically said that we are a generation of people that went to church thinking that we needed to just behave more, uh, behave better, um, that God was there for our therapy, and, uh, but God wasn't really involved unless we needed God, so God became kind of a vending machine. Now the reason um, that I say this is because this has affected us and how we follow Jesus. And whether you grew up in a mega church or, or not, we were all, and I'm not saying all mega churches were like this, I'm just saying this, this kind of consumeristic Christianity kind of pushed people through this way of thinking. Now, good morning, it's good to see you. Um, the reason why I'm bringing all this up, and, and don't misread me, I'm not slamming anybody, I'm just calling out the big elephant in the room about our cultural moment. And how, what does it look like for us as a church, what does it look like for you to thrive in your apprenticeship to Jesus in the midst of all of this, okay? And how do we experience real transformation? Not just change um, the way we talk or change some behavior, but how do, we, how do we actually really transform as human beings to actually apprentice our life around Jesus of Nazareth? And because that word transformation comes up all the time um, in scripture, and it's the kind of life that Jesus has on offer for all of us. And, and he invites us into all the time. And I would I would argue that this, this is kind of where we're headed. Followers of Jesus are those who more and more arrange their whole life around transformation. And the process by which we are formed, okay, into, it, this is the process by which we're formed into the person that Jesus wants us to be. And there's an intentionality. And remember, we talked about, and trust me, we're gonna get to Mark chapter one here in a second, but we talked about unintentional spiritual formation and, and versus intentional spiritual formation. And the reality is that you and me, we wake up in the morning, we're being formed, whether we're, we know it or not. You flip on the news, you flip on the radio, you, you, whatever you do during your day, you are being formed into a certain kind of a person. So we need to combat those things by being intentional. So instead of uh, just buying into the stories that we believe, we actually combat that with teaching. We're gonna talk about that today. 
contra the habits that we form, we, we contra the habits in our life with practices. Contra just regular relationships that make us feel better about ourselves, we put in community. Community that's a mirror showing us who we actually are and also encourages us. And contra the environment we live in, we, we live in the, the world of the spirit. And these have been themes that we've been talking about the last number of weeks. Um, Jen Henshaw was up here sharing with a little bit of her story about identity and how we're formed with our identity. Uh, Dan, last week, if you missed last Sunday, you need to go back and listen to Dan's story about what community, being intentional about community, has done in his life. And it was just a, a, a great, just kind of sweeping overview of Dan's journey and community. And, and Mandy was up here with me when we talked about the Holy Spirit. So this is what we're after as a community. And it's hard because a lot of us, if we're honest, we feel stuck. We feel stuck in patterns, um, relational patterns, money patterns, things in our lives. We, we feel stuck in addiction or escaping from the pain in our lives by just numbing out. Uh, we, stuck, we're, we feel stuck in emotional pain that maybe even around this time of year just gets more intense. And it's not that we don't want to change or even want to try to change, we just don't know how. Let me throw a, a, a quote up here. This is the definition of spiritual formation. Spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. So we're all being shaped. The, the spiritual formation means that the practices of Jesus means we're, we're engaging more into intentionally what Jesus is after. And so we're gonna start in Mark chapter one really quick. And in Mark chapter one, this is, this is an amazing announcement. This is Jesus announcing why he's here, okay? And, and Mark um, just kind of lays out the story in, chapter, in verse 14. He says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This idea of the kingdom of God was this was new to human history. This is Jesus unveiling a new way, a new reality to the people of the world. And what's interesting is we hear that word repent. And, and some of you go, uh-oh, what is that? What does he mean by that? Repent seems like an ominous word in our culture. And really what repent is, the Greek word is metaneo, and it means to change your mind. To change your mind. Uh, Lou Nida is a writer and author. He, he writes this about repent, repenting. He says, to change one's way of life as a result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. This is the idea behind it. To repent is actually to reimagine your life, okay, around the kingdom of God. To reimagine your, your life and its place in the kingdom of God. And I would argue that reimagination is the first step to transformation. 
like to, to actually experience deep change in you, you have to reimagine your life. And that's why teaching, like good teaching around scripture is actually huge because it helps us change the stories that are in our minds about not only ourselves, but about the world we live in, all right? So it's more that teaching is more than just this is wrong, that's wrong, don't do it, knock yourself out. It's about changing our minds and our attitudes towards our own lives. It's like teaching gets into your head with an alternative idea of the good life that Jesus has on offer, okay? That's what teaching does. And so, contra the story or the, or the worldview that your professor is, is saying, contra, you know, maybe that advertisement you keep seeing over and over again about retirement or about whatever, you know, contra all these stories that we're swimming in, and the inertia of our culture, what teaching does is it gives us a replacement story, a better story. It helps us to answer questions like, is this the truest thing about me? Is this the truest thing about our world, right? So we get this out of uh, Romans, actually, because Paul is really, really serious about people's minds and what they believe about themselves and what they believe about the world. He writes, this is the classic People memorize this verse all the time. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers. And by the way, this is a building, okay? All throughout Romans, Paul is talking about what God has done and who we are, and it builds and it crescendos to this moment. He says, therefore, because of all of this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. He's, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but start by being transformed by the renewing of your, of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This idea of replacing, right? And, and, and for Paul, the first step to transformation is the renewal of the mind, the changing of the mind. It's not a one-time thing. It's this ongoing, intentional process. And here's the thing. Paul is obsessed with this idea about the thought life. Really quickly, just three verses will pop up here on the screen. Uh, it, it, this is part of Paul's kind of litany uh, of, of verses. This is a few of them. First uh, Corinthians, but we have the mind of Christ. Uh, Second Corinthians, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And then Colossians, I love this, for you died. This is a talk about a story replacement. <laughs> you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Like the new you is totally different. And I think this is amazing because on and on and on in scripture, Dallas Willard puts it like this. He says, the process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively replacing, okay, the destructive images and ideas with images and ideas that filled the mind of Jesus himself. Spiritual formation in Christ moves towards a total interchange of our ideas and images for his. Like, like, don't you want that? I, see, we all have destructive images and ideas that keep happening in us over and over again. 
And it's things that we choose and it's things that we're kind of like, we have family of origin stuff. We have all these things in our lives that, that have put us in a position that we have these destructive images and these mixtapes playing over and over in our heads. Psychologists call it the, um, you know, just super smart brain people call it Hebb's axiom. This is like actually nerdy brain science stuff. Neuroplasticity, this idea that uh, basically you begin to habitually think the same thoughts, it becomes easier and easier to think that thought, right? Easier and easier to make that habit. Um, there's this great read, if you want to nerd out on this. There's a guy named Kurt Thompson, and uh, he, he wrote this really great book about discipleship, community, and brain science, Right? No? Okay. Three of you are like geeked out about that. Well, if you don't want to read it, here's a quote. Neurons that repeated, repeatedly activate in, in a particular pattern are statistically more likely to fire in the same pattern the more they are activated. Once the initial neurons in a network fire, there is very high probability that the related neurons will also activate and move along the same bioelectrical pathway to the end of that network. Okay, total nerd stuff, but check this out. The more frequently those patterns have been fired, the more easily they will fire in the same pattern in the future. That is why uh, you may immediately recall ingredients and steps to preparing spaghetti, which you do every week, but need to consult a cookbook when preparing a holiday dish you haven't made in years. His point is this. It's an, the analogy is like hacking through a jungle, okay, in your brain. And, and, and the more you hack, like you blaze a trail, okay, things you haven't thought before or, th or have done before, you are actually creating a path in your brain, a well-worn path that will automatically help you walk down that same trail again, okay? Now, this can be a good thing or a bad thing. The good thing is it's like 50 First Dates, if you've seen that movie, where you can remember your wife's name over and over again. Remember, the, remember 10 Second Tom in the movie? No, four of you? Okay. Check out 50 First Dates, it's great. Okay, so, but, so that's a good thing. Like you can remember names and you can remember faces and you can, you know, quickly your brain can go there. The bad news is this. We all get stuck in mental and emotional patterns in our minds and in our imaginations and they are just default. They just happen. They just, behavior just automatically happens. And it's because over time you have just been wired to think and act a certain way. And this is so important for us to understand. It's why we spend time teaching. That's why we spend time reading scripture. That's why it takes a long time to rewire our brains. And the reason why this is so important, I think there's just five or six ways that you can help yourself here, one of them is reading scripture. Like long swaths of scripture. Like soaking your head and your heart in scripture. And I think this is important because it begins to start to change the stories that we believe. Um, this In January, we're doing this thing again. You can actually purchase an immerse book, which is basically a chunk of scripture 
that's been reordered. Some of you are like, oh, don't worry, it's the Bible. But it's about six books, First and Second Chronicles, Esther, Ezra, Jeremiah, and Daniel. And there's no chapters, there's no verses, it's just the narrative, it's just beautiful. And so what we're gonna be doing as a community, and you can jump in if you want, is we're gonna be taking the challenge we are gonna be following this reading program together and then once a week we're gonna to get together and talk about it. And so you can form a group if you'd like, you can grab a book, you can just one-on-one, -on -one, you and your spouse, you can do it with three or four people you don't know yet. Um, it's just a really powerful way to do scripture together. The reason why we're doing it is because we're gonna be talking about the book of Daniel and Jeremiah and all these things surround the events of Daniel. So I'm just plugging that for you. Um, large swaths of scripture are really good. Read good books. Read, read a, a Dallas Willard. Read um, a Jamie A.K. Smith. Read, read. There's a book list, okay, that I put together because everybody keeps asking me about these books that I'm referencing. There's a book list out here. Now, here's the thing about books. I guess sometimes I get fearful throwing a quote up there because then you guys are like, yeah, but he said this once. Um... <laughs> These are authors, okay? These aren't, this isn't the word of God I'm throwing up here, okay? So these are authors, they're human beings, they're wrestling out what scripture means. They're not gonna be perfect. Listen, I'm not perfect. I stand up here and probably what, 80% of what I say is right on, maybe 70, right, Dan? All right, so just, here's the thing, okay? Not everybody's a heretic. <laughs> You can read a book, you can talk about it with people, you can chew on it. Um, my encouragement to you is to read. Read people's stories, read autobiographies of people who follow Jesus, read, read, just fill your mind with something different, okay? Teaching on a Sunday morning is important. Um, podcasts, maybe you have some things that, you know, you, you, people you listen to out there, they're, they're just great communicators, teachers of the word, and it's really easy to get them. Maybe not the top five on the podcast list. I'm not gonna go any further. Anyhow, a community helps you to rethink and reframe a story, okay, in your own life. So intentionality, Dan, listen to his sermon about being intentional with community. Maybe you need to walk across the room somewhere in here and say, I've seen you before. I think you follow Jesus well. I wanna sit with you and learn how you do it. Maybe you need a mentor. Maybe you need, uh, maybe you need to make yourself available to help somebody uh, rewrite a script in their life. And so um, having a good community in your life is a really good sounding board. But here's the thing. A lot of people stop here. A lot of people stop here. They go to church. They listen to podcasts. They read books. And that's it. Information transformation, I mean, transition is not transformation at all, and you can't think your way to Christ-likeness, okay? I knew a lot of guys in seminary, and I don't know if they knew Jesus. And maybe you're deeply, here's the thing, maybe, maybe after a sermon you're deeply moved by the Spirit to change a certain area in your life, but you find yourself quickly falling back into the same old pattern. What's the problem? The problem isn't knowledge. The problem isn't uh, knowing something. The problem is far deeper, okay? The po problem is, is that knowing something 
is not the same as doing something, which is not the same as wanting to do something. And we all have gaps here. Uh, James A.K. Smith, he wrote a book, um, You Are What You Love, and he's talking about following Jesus and, and our patterns in our brain and all that kind of stuff. Um, he was actually tells a story in his book, because most of you won't read it. Uh, <laughs> um, he tells the story in his book where his wife gives him a book about the slow food movement, you know, and how, you know, processed foods are bad and this is good. And he's reading this book and he's loving it. Like, he's just like, yeah, that sounds right. That's, and he's reading it in the Costco food court, eating a Costco hot dog. <laughs> and he starts to reflect on this, right? He starts to reflect on it. And he's like, he's like, here's the thing. Like, I believe in all this stuff. I think this is right on. My problem isn't knowledge. My problem is, is that I love hot dogs, right? Like you can know, hey, this hot dog's bad for me. But the problem is, is you still love hot dogs. And so how do we change our loves, right? See, what we love in our hearts is far greater influence on us than what we know in our heads. And that's what we're getting at because when we flash up these verses from the Sermon on the Mount, check this out in Matthew chapter five, Jesus is really, really serious about this. He says, therefore, if any one of you sets aside one of the least of these commands, the ones he's about to teach, and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So he starts out the Sermon on the Mount talking about practice. And take a look at this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, right, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. It's interesting, right? Jesus doesn't just teach stuff, and he doesn't tell people, hey, just, just remember this. Just memorize it. He says, you gotta practice it. Like, you gotta actually intentionally walk towards these things in your life. Otherwise, your house is gonna crumble and then he just walks off. <laughs> That's like the ending of his message. <laughs> like if you don't practice this, your life's gonna fall apart, walked off. Interesting, right? And I think that's so interesting because he bookends it, right? And, and, he's, and he's assuming that this is actually gonna take a lifetime of practice. But some of you are like probably in your minds right now giving me a little bit of pushback. And yes, they were even Jesus's words, but you're giving me pushback because you're feeling something inside of you. Um, you're, you're feeling, wait a second, isn't Christianity all about grace? It's all grace, man. Yeah, there is grace, tons of grace. But it's also about our part. And you're like, wait a second, it's not about works, Ryan. What are you saying? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna ask you what Bible you're reading. Works don't get us like into heaven <laughs> with Jesus, for sure. 
But listen to what James says. He says in verse 22 of chapter one, do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the world but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever in, looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom continues in it, not forgiving what he have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. See, over and over again in scripture, all the writers make the same point. Teaching leads to practice. Otherwise, it's just information. And if you want to become like Jesus, you have to begin to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, not just memorize what he said. The practices of Jesus, doing the things that Jesus did, they actually do something to us. The things we do in our lives, it's habit forming. They do something to us. They change us, okay? So what you do, you become, not just through your mind, but through your heart. And so that same author, Jamie A.K. Smith, he talks about this in, the, in his book. He's, the heart, he, he, he references the heart as this, the fulcrum of your most fundamental longings, like a visceral subconscious orientation to the world. That's your heart. Um, we were in a series in 1 Corinthians. And, and you guys may remember this passage but Paul uses this. We talked about this, I think, last, I don't know, August or July or something like that. And so you guys are like, wait, 1 Corinthians, not this again. He says in verse 24, chapter 9, do, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Not if you're a millennial, you got a prize, right? <laughs> Everybody got a prize. Didn't know what it's like to lose. Paul says, run in such a way, sorry, millennials, run in such a way to, as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes against, uh, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I have to strike a blow to my body. And make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And this metaphor comes from the Isthmian Games. And we talked about this briefly. It's, there were the big, exciting events at the beginning and the end. The beginning was the race. That um, was really, really, it was like a 100-meter dash. It was like, who's the fastest? And then at the end was, who's the toughest? You know. And then there was the boxing at the end. And like bare knuckle stuff. What was interesting is the word um, that he used there for strict training um, is disciplined training or to be a disciplined one. That's what Paul's using here. Discipleship to Jesus is something that you do with your whole body, with all that you are, not just learning new stuff and filling in blanks not just checking off some Bible studies. Discipleship to Jesus is something you do with your whole body. And so the practices of Jesus are actually really important things. Uh, here's the definition of these practices. These are practices based on the lifestyle of Jesus that create a time and a space for us, for you and me, to access the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and in doing so, be transformed from the inside out. What were some of the practices of Jesus? 
I'm just gonna throw it out to you. What did Jesus practice? This is group participation. This is something that Dan loves. Solitude. Solitude, there we go. What did you say that over here? Okay, solitude. You know what, that was the first one on my list. Well done. Anything else? Prayer, Prayer. yeah. Fasting, community, heard it. Healing, okay. Yes, celebration. Let's, come on. There's a tone to that word, Dan. What else did Jesus do? Did he gather on, the, on Sundays with people? Yeah. Yeah. Bread in the cup. Rested. It's a good one, Randy. Mm-hmm. Aubrey, does Randy like to rest? Yes. <laughs> Just wondering. Um, <laughs> what about serving? Throw that out. Simple living. Jesus practiced simple living. I think that's something to really take into account. How did Jesus live simply and how do we live simply? Right? We don't like to talk about that. In an age of consumerism and more and more and more, it's tough. See, the whole point of discipline is an activity, and this is gonna sound really nerdy, it's an activity that I can do with direct effort, okay? That will eventually enable me to do something which currently I cannot do by direct effort. You're like, wait a second, what do you mean by that? It's kinda like sports. Like, have you ever trained, or music, have you ever trained like the scales? The scales are something I practice directly with direct effort so that one day I could do them Regular, right? Practicing, passing the ball in soccer over and over again. These things that we do, they're disciplines. Why, why, are they, why are they hard? Because they're hard work. It's, they don't come naturally by direct effort. We actually have to practice them so that one day we can do them without having to have direct effort. These are disciplines for the mind and the body. So how do we partner with God to do this? I'm gonna land the plane here. There is a central place for self-effort in your discipleship to Jesus. And the problem is, is that many of us are living in the wake of something called the Protestant Reformation. Okay, it's a little history stuff. Um, Protestant Reformation is good, but in some ways it was an overreaction to something called works-based salvation. Works-based salvation, kind of the Catholic movement in the, you know, in the Reformation era was this idea that we, the more we did, the more God loved us, the more we got closer to God. This was a overreaction in some ways, and the Protestant Reformation was to that. It was an overreaction. Now, um, you know, like here's the thing. In the early church, it was called practicing the way. And, and there was this like intense following of Jesus, but after the fourth century, Constantine, he makes Christianity legal, it becomes the religion of the day, and, and then we have that, and then we get to the Protestant Reformation, well, actually, we get to this part where actually there's monks, okay, not to sound crude, but they took that passage about when Paul says, I beat my body, they took that literally, and there were monks that would be found on top of rooftops naked, whipping themselves, weird. Like, not it. <laughs> I don't like heights and <laughs> whatever. Just add all those things up. But this, 
idea that like there's always a pendulum swing to the other side, right? And there's this deep fear in many of us that we're, uh-oh, am I earning my salvation? Am I trying to earn my salvation? But I would argue this isn't an issue for most of us. <laughs> this really isn't. I mean, the reality is for most of us, we're sucked into more hedonism and the digital distraction and entitlement and consuming. We're kind of sucked into that more than anything else. I got an alert on my iPhone this morning and because I'm practicing being authentic, I'm gonna share with you that my iPhone calculated how much daily screen time. And then it decided to tell me. <laughs> An average this last week, and this is, oh, this is so embarrassing, of four hours and seven minutes a day. And it told me that it was down 18%. Oh, you're judging me, but here's the thing. <laughs> Here's the thing, you look at your phone and you text me later and tell me if you were better or worse than me, okay? Here's the point. I don't think you and I struggle with whether we're trying to earn our salvation or not. I actually think we're struggling to stay out of the inertia of the world we live in. And what does that look like? The point is, here's the thing. If, this, if it makes you nervous, this whole idea of earning your salvation, you and I have to come to grips with the fact that, that you and I have a part to play in following Jesus. You have a part, God has a part. God has a way bigger part, but you have a part. And the spiritual disciplines are actually a way for us to do that. And I'm not talking about trying really hard. I'm actually talking about training really hard. And that's different, right? Trying really hard is waking up in the morning, grabbing a cup of coffee, running out, um, throwing on some NPR or whatever you listen to, country probably. And then you're like flying to work, right? And you're like, <laughs> sorry. And then you're flying to work and you're doing your thing and you're like, you get to work and you're like, okay, I'm just gonna try really hard to be patient around this one coworker and I'm gonna try this and I'm gonna try that. I'm gonna just try really hard. And at the end of the day, you're just exhausted, defeated. You're back in your old patterns versus training really hard. Training really hard is getting up on a half an hour earlier, not picking up your phone, picking up, well, getting a cup of coffee, but picking up, picking up your, your Bible, and reading, reading a psalm, telling the Father that you're there and that he's there, rattling through some of the things in your mind that are bringing you anxiety and then just laying those at the feet of Jesus. And then getting in your car, right? And then noticing things differently in your day because you've kind of re begun to reorient your mind and your heart. And this becomes part of your rhythm. And you begin to slowly over time see your life changing, seeing your attitude changing. James A.K. Smith actually put together something called a habit audit. And I reworked it a little bit and it's gonna be online tomorrow. And it's a way for you to take a look at your week, your day, and, and, and to take an audit of the habits in your life. <laughs> How much are you looking at your phone? You know, take a look at this audit and then and like see where you're at 
um, with that. I mean, I have a friend of mine, like, here's the thing, like maybe some of you are like, I just don't know how to pray. Like, I just feel so like twisted up inside and I'm scatterbrained and you're ADD and it's just so hard to pray. Let me just tell you something might really help you. Be around people who pray. Like, did you know that at 8.45 every Sunday morning, there's a group of people that faithfully gather to pray, not only for our church, but things going on. Maybe just show up and be with them. Just be like, hey, I want to learn. This Wednesday night, of uh, people gathering, they, they pray once a month. Um, that's on our website. That's open to anybody. That's like the prayer group, okay? And you could just like show up. Maybe it's like, I'm not good at this. Yeah, no one is born good at it. But you, you walk into that. You step into that. You intentionally make room for that in your life. Be around people who pray and they will teach you a lot. I have a friend of mine that's a... Um, type A, he travels a ton. Um, no, it's not Ben Ewing, but it's, uh, it's a different friend of mine. <laughs> it's Ben Type A. Okay, I didn't think. Um, he travels a lot, and he's, um, he's just, he, he just noticed how angry he was traveling. So he began a new practice in his life. Every time he traveled, he would write thank you notes to people while he's on the plane. And he would participate in something called listening prayer. And he'd just quiet his mind. He'd just listen. And, and if someone came to mind in his life, he would write a note to them. Now, over time, he's written about 150 notes right now. And he told me the other day, he said, this has so wrecked his life in a good way. He's become more grateful. Um, he tells stories about these people. And they're just like, you have no idea what this meant to me. And then over and over again, and like it's changed his, his mind, his heart, his story. The more we practice something, the more we want to do that thing. The more we practice prayer and gratitude and solitude and serving the poor, the more we actually want to do prayer and solitude and gratitude and serving the poor. But the less we practice, the more we're formed unintentionally. So the wrong loves and longings versus the right loves and longings. And these are time-tested by the lifestyle of Jesus. Watching your loves and your longings change. Don't you want that? Like, I want that. I need that. This is what Jesus says with life to the fullest. Life to the fullest for Jesus wasn't, hey, show up at church, give some money, check some boxes, and then just go about your, your life that you created. So life to the fullest is saying, no, 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 no. There's a whole new way to live. It brings about so much more life. And that's the invitation for all of us. We desire to be a people who change. Let me pray.